Good evening. From the day we're born, there is a battle we must fight, a struggle between what is kind and peaceful in our natures and what is cruel and violent. But now for some of us, that choice has been taken away. A secret society exists and is living among all of us. I know what you're thinking because I've been where you are, but I have proof and tonight I'm going to sh show you something. Make you believe. to episode 38 of the fear of god that that is a magic number it's, it will be my age this year which is crazy to think about this is nathan i am one of your vaudevillian hosts that is usually on this show you know doing our little circus routine usually with me is reed lackey uh, uh reed and i have been peers and friends dear friends for going on two decades now, which is crazy to consider. Usually he's with me. Usually it's not that big a deal. We Skype, so I can typically see him. But just a few minutes ago, I, I, I turned on Skype expecting for his lovely smiling face to be there. And his wife was telling me that he'd been feeling kind of down, um, you know, just, just some work pressures and things like that. Some other, some other stuff had been just kind of affected him. And so he went, he was going to some kind of camp, some kind of adult sort of camp thing. Um, like for a week or so, I don't really, I don't know. I hadn't heard of it before. It sounded kind of intriguing, frankly. Um, I mean, you know, who doesn't need a little bit of away time every now and then, but who, who knows? Those, those places can be full of weird people, you know, in those sorts of scenarios. And, Reed, you, there you are. You came back from camp and, you know. I think you've set a new was... record for how long you explained <laughs> My beat, my being absent that, in this in this situation. That was a lot of setup. Oh my gosh! I, and I don't want to know what goes on at an adult camp, but uh, you know. Well, I didn't mean like like not a kid. You saw the movie. You know exactly what goes on at an adult camp. <laughs> Anybody up for a campfire? Huh? But uh, I I just I just meant as opposed to like a kids camp, which would be weird for you to. Be yeah, at. that would be strange. That it's, would be. It's weird either way. Either way. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, how are you, my friend? Oh, I'm doing, how are doing you? really, really well. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited that we're 
covering this film today and excited about our I enjoyed our conversation last week, even though we didn't really seem to enjoy the movie. Um, but yeah, we have a, you know, have a conversation here every week about the intersection of faith and the horror genre. And we are following up on last week's conversation about 1941's The Wolfman with another more recent film that also deals with werewolves and deals with a similar theme. This week, we are covering Joe Dante's the Howler. You know, I was, I was, I was thinking about this, Reed. You know, you, you made the comment last week and just now about quote unquote, a more modern movie. And yet, uh, uh, the Wolfman was in 1941. 40 years later was the howling, which if you're keeping track at home was almost 40 years ago. So yep. Yep. it's, a, you know, technically it's more recent. Yes. <laughs> it is, it is more recent than the Wolfman. <laughs> Is it a modern movie? Ah, uh, that remains. That's to be a good. Seen. That's a good that's point. A good yeah, it is really funny because we did. Uh, well, no, we covered. We we companioned Bride of Frankenstein with May. That was a that was a film from the two thousands. But I was like, we did Let Me In, which was two thousand ten. But then we did Reanimator, which is you know eighty five. It's interesting because man, there are so many films that deal in some degree with wolves and werewolves. But early eighties was like Harry and the Hendersons. That's not a wolf. That's Bigfoot. <laughs> oh yeah, he's a Yeti. <laughs> no, that's the abominable snowman. No, it's Bigfoot. <laughs> Get your monster straight. <laughs> no, the, uh... oh, that was that was <laughs> no. She's a dragon thing, <laughs> and you just we don't know what she is. She's a dinosaur thing. Nobody's seen just her. Keep really, going. the uh, yeah. No, for, for in all seriousness, like for for reasons somewhat unknown to me like i don't know why this trend happened but the early 80s was just the time to make werewolf movies like most of the sort of the great werewolf films that we have not all of them but most of the great werewolf films we have come from the first half of the 1980s so i don't know i don't know what was going on teen wolf thriller thriller Thrillers from the 80s like yeah 84 yeah. 85 86 somewhere how, in there. how recently have you seen teen wolf <laughs> i just want to know you I don't you've know. never maybe you've never never seen honestly. Teen Wolf because you sure reference sure it a I've lot seen, for somebody who's never seen so, the thing. Well, right, but I mean, you know, I, I've got a nice cultural appetite, so I'm aware of a lot that you know exists in our sort of pop culture zeitgeist. Really, really, I'm just trying to hide my affection for the short-lived MTV series Teen Wolf. <laughs> Which, no, I'm, I'm kidding. I actually have not seen any of that. I've never seen an hopefully episode. Hopefully never will. Yeah, never seen an episode. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's funny. There's a, there's a plethora of, of examples and opportunities to discuss werewolf stuff, but some of the strongest stuff for me still stems from, from this early to mid, uh, 1980s period. There were two, and probably my two favorite werewolf films of all. This one and American Werewolf in London both came out in 1981. Do you like, I feel like, I think I've seen it. But I don't remember much about it. Do you like Wolf the Nicholson? Yes. And that's an interesting that's an interesting one that's it's not got the lighthearted flavor that some of these have in terms of just, you know, like it's not a straightforward horror film. It's more of a drama with some horror elements to it, directed ironically by Mike Nichols, who is primarily a comedy director. But but yeah, um I mean I do I do enjoy it. I think the last time I saw Wolf with uh Michelle Pfeiffer and Jack Nicholson was maybe fifteen years ago. Maybe so. So memory's a little fuzzy on it, but but I remember liking it. <laughs> ah, fuzzy, exactly. Wolf. Wolf. Oh, the wolf puns. But yeah, I mean, like honestly, I went back and forth for a long time about whether or not I wanted us to talk about American Werewolf in London or whether I wanted us to talk about The Howling. And honestly, I'll have to put it out there that I think American Werewolf in London is the better film. I, I think that's 
it is probably the it's I mentioned last week that it's my favorite werewolf movie. The reason that we're talking about the howling is because of something that we'll get into specifically in themes. Knowing you and knowing how intentional you are with like every decision. I just have this image of like see what viewer, what listeners don't know is like hanging behind you is a Simpsons poster and I just have this image of you as a Simpsons character in a room with American Werewolf in London and the howling on opposite sides of the room and you just you just walk back and forth and it's yes. like literally just for like three days, <laughs> just, just, just pondering like, which one yes. do you yes. do? No, it's, uh, it was ironic <laughs> about that is that, uh, yeah, I took a vacation about a week's vacation last year. And much of that time was sucked up with, uh, you know, walking back and forth in the room between American werewolf in London and the howling. So I don't know if you were spying on me or if that was just a guess. Which a one? Guess. <laughs> I, uh, but no, decided to go, decided to go with the howling, even though, yes, I would acknowledge that I think American werewolf in London is a better film, but Specifically, there's a there's a couple of of thematic elements to this that I believe that when we get into it, I believe that The Howling was the first film to do this to werewolf stories. Um, it was certainly not the last, but but I'll I'll save that for when we get there. A few trivial bits on this: the makeup effects uh, are a name that you might recognize just from an earlier episode of The Fear of God. The makeup effects for this were originally helmed by Rick Baker. And Rick Baker eventually left this project to go and work on American Werewolf in London. And evidently he made the right decision because he won in 1982. He won the very first Academy Award for makeup effects for American Werewolf in London. <laughs> so evidently he made the right decision. Wow. But he left the effects work in the hands of a man named Rob Botine, uh, or Rob Botten. I believe it's Botine, who did the makeup effects for The Thing. And, oh, uh, right. and so, so I think, but that's one thing that I think the makeup effects on both of those films, but I think the makeup effects in The Howling are really incredible. Uh, I mean, there's a transformation in American Werewolf in London that is just unparalleled, which is why it won the Oscar. But, um, I think the makeup effects in this are, are really very, very good. I'm not going to, but I could go through every single scene in this film. In literally every scene, there is a wink or a nod or a reference or a citation of werewolf cinema throughout film. I mean, it's, it's, it's in literally every scene. There's some image or there's some character name mentioned or there's some reference in some capacity. Um, the man waiting outside the booth when she's first trying to meet Eddie in the beginning of the film. The man waiting uh -huh. outside the booth to get in there is the legendary B movie director Roger Corman, a oh. name you've probably heard of. Yep. Interesting enough, the, uh, the actor John Carradine who is the old man at the colony. He's the one who tries uh, at first to sort of throw himself into the fire and say he can't take it anymore. Uh -huh. That that actor, John Carradine, was the actor that Universal Studios was originally pursuing to play Dracula before the role went to Bela Lugosi. He'd been a long-standing character actor. Dr. Wagner, the, the character... Uh, I don't know if it's Wagner or Wagner, but uh, Dr. Wagner, the, the person who we see in the telecast at the very beginning of the film. Right. Uh, well... If you remember from last week, the director of The Wolfman was George Wagner. Uh, I mean, it's like it's it's everywhere through this film. You could dissect it. Well, and I mean, the 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 most obvious one, which I, per I appreciate you permitting me to uh, state, was when the news couple is watching The Wolfman. Uh, right, exactly. I mean, and and I don't know if you st I, I don't know if you watched. Did you watch through all the end of the credits? No, there's a, there was there's there's a little button yeah. at at the end of the credits. But yeah, the, 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 over the credits, you're just seeing grilling hamburger meat. But then at the very end of that, when the credits are all concluded, it cuts back to the wolfman, uh, when the gypsy tells him, go and God be with you. Kind of a cool little button. Very, 
very dependent and beholden to to Wolfman and you know Wolfman lore, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, we've already talked at length about uh, Gremlins, directed by Joe Dante, which is, you know, if you haven't heard that episode, go back and listen to that episode. We have a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but it was interesting because it was actually this film, The Howling, uh, that Spielberg saw and liked. And it's, it's why Joe Dante got the opportunity really? to direct Gremlins. Yeah, it was because of The Howling and how strong The Howling was. For a long time, Gremlins was going to be directed by Tim Burton, of all people. But um, Tim Burton at the time had not directed a full film. And Spielberg was very impressed with The Howling and so enlisted Dante to direct Gremlins. But I, th- I do think that The Howling is a very strong film. What was your general impression of it? Or what were your thoughts about it? Um, I liked it. I think... You know, for for what viewers may have or listeners may have heard last week, and what admittedly was likely a little bit of boredom with the Wolfman, I found the Howling, which I knew nothing about, so I didn't know. I mean, all I knew was werewolf stuff, right? Um, so I didn't know anything about the plot. It, it's a it's a pleasurable experience when you can plug into a movie and even with some of its dated production elements, still be like, that was just fun. Yeah, that was a fun fun little romp. Um, you know, definitely, definitely had some scary elements to it is, is pretty, pretty great on atmosphere and mood. Um, so yeah, I liked it a lot. Yeah. I, I really, like I said, it's, if American Werewolf in London gets the number one slot, this, the Howling might get the number two slot. Uh, Silver Bullet is going to make a top five for me, even though I, I think there's some, you know, that's personal affection, not necessarily objective quality, but the Howling even objectively, I think is really strong, still holds up kind of entry. Interestingly enough, as affectionate as I am for this movie, I've not seen any of the sequels. I've not watched, I think there's like four sequels and I haven't seen any of them. Maybe I'll need to correct that. I mean, you know what, you know what there's a lot of in them. Howling. You know, somehow I expected more from that joke. Yeah. I I mean, I I right as I said it, right as I, the pause that you heard was just really like disappointment in myself. (laughs) Now I feel ashamed. Because <laughs> now I'm pot committed. I've got to oh, say it. Oh, man. Yeah. No, I and mean, then you just hope. You just hope. Cause maybe maybe he'll you, laugh. Maybe it. he'll laugh. I'll, say, yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll just say it. We'll just, we'll just see. Oh, gosh. But, um, but yeah, I mean, like, uh, it, it's funny because this is one of those just the epitome of like an, a, an 80s horror film. It's very much like just in the style of the 80s. It's got a look to it that's that's very 80s. The one thing that I think is is really outstanding and exceptional about it is the is the makeup. The the transformations of the werewolf are just horrendous. I, I don't I still don't know how they accomplish some of the things that we see on screen. And, and it's all practical effects. There's no computer generated effects at this time. So it's all done practically and it's mesmerizing. I just I have no idea how they do some of what they some of what they do. But yeah, I mean, the, I think the whole tone of the film is solid. I think the the pacing of it is strong. I think it's the, the fears and the scares are, are very calculated and effective. And I really it's it's a hard film for me to even find. When when was when was the first time you saw this? Do you remember? Uh, I was a kid. I want to say I, I don't have a strong memory oh. of the very first time that I saw it, but I was that's jacked up. <laughs> that was probably eight or nine, like when I saw <laughs> it. You know me with these horror films, gotcha. you know. Um, right. But yeah, it was probably eight or nine the first time I saw it. But yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't have much that I dislike about the film. I mean, there's some scenes that I, that I'm uncomfortable about. Like I don't know that it's specifically a dislike because it feeds very directly into the theme of the film. 
But the opening sequence, like where she's wandering into the, 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 the porn shop or the snuff films and stuff like that, like that's very uncomfortable. Uh, the actress herself, Dee Wallace, was really made uncomfortable by the filming of that scene. Uh, so, so a lot of what you see translated on the screen is actually her, her real life discomfort with having to, to sort of be there and sure. do that. So that's uncomfortable. There's a couple of things towards the middle part of the film that I'm like, why do we need to, why do we need to have this? Like, why is this here? But, but I mean, overall, I think that this is one of those films where the things that I like about it so far outweigh the things that I dislike about it that it's almost hard for me to harp too much on what I dislike about it. It's it's just it's just a solid enjoyable 80s horror flick. So so yeah. yeah. Well, and once it I mean are we in like Yeah, yeah, go go for it. Um I mean once it gets going it's it's pretty um it's pretty compelling. And you know, you referenced the transformation scene specifically, but even Generally speaking, I was really impressed with the creature effects. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, e- even from a preconceived notion of what you expect a werewolf to look like in a movie, there was still some variation. And oh, some, yeah. I'm thinking specifically of the office sequence where the, oh my gosh. I the, char- the character's name, but the, the woman who has shown up to assist gets mauled. Um, but, you know, when he reveals himself in full wolf right um it was pretty it's pretty creepy that's uh terry terry is her character's name okay I, yeah that that moment is is in one of my scares because it creeps me out to no end that she's just sitting there looking through the files and then all of a sudden his hand like reaches down for like, uh, he, he he like gives her a he, he smacks her up oh my her gosh <laughs> and just, wow. just the immense size of the creatures when they transform yeah. like they're so yeah. freaking tall and and just yeah they're they're menacing and and horrific yeah I, I i mean if you want to like moving moving straight into scares i mentioned the transformation already we've already talked about the doctor's office scene but the whole sequence towards the end at the barn is just really unnerving. Like, it's just, it, I mean, like that whole, when, when the whole colony is there and you kind of see the, right. the, the end result, the end game for, for what this colony is and, and why these people are there. Um, that's, that's really creepy to me, even still. Sure. Um, it, it's still really effective and they're, they're attempting to get away and all of the, the werewolves are kind of swarming and swirling around the vehicle and just, yeah, it's, it's a pretty, when it decides to, pun intended, but when it decides to go for the throat, like it, it's really pretty effective. It goes for the jugular. If or, you I mean, when things get hairy. When things get hairy. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, even early in the movie when Terry, you said her name is Terry? Terry is the, yeah, the character. Um, when, when they're investigating the crime scene or Eddie's apartment and the dog jumps up to the window. <laughs> I mean, even just little jump, leave little jump scares like that. Right, right. Um, I mean, you know, is it scary? Is it just disgusting? Um, I mean, right immediately before Eddie's transformation when he's like digging in his forehead. Oh, and ad-libbed the line, the actor ad-libbed the line, I want to give you a piece of my mind. <laughs> really? He digs out this part of his brain. I know it's, oh uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty rough. And it, it, it yeah, there's some gross outs. Well, we sure. can't forget like one of the scariest moments in the movie is, you know, at the end when the reveal happens on on the news program on live tv on live tv and and you know you get you get the hello kitty you know it's like <laughs> i was gonna say the chia pet <laughs> yeah i mean suddenly we go from from that that's how joe dante got gremlins is that's the proto mogwai right there that's gizmo <laughs> 
that's er- early developmental, you know, <laughs> stages of what Boo would become. Gizmo. Oh my gosh, she looks ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, it's so funny because given how strong and how effective the rest of the creatures look, like she really does look much tamer. She looks like a sort of like a <laughs> like a cat. I kept thinking of that moment it's- from Emperor's New Groove where like <laughs> Isma transforms <laughs> and she's like, you know, supposed to be this big ferocious thing, and she's like, now you will feel that. Is that my voice? Is that my voice? <laughs> I, like, I kept expecting this creature th- 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 to spit out that sort of high-pitched... I take it back! I take it oh, back! Don't kill me! Gosh. Well, and what's, it, it, it's, it's made that much more dissonant by the fact that even feminine werewolves in the movie up to that point are still horrifying, oh, yeah. hulking, and terrifying. You know, They're like, ferocious looking. Yeah. It's not... It, it'd be one thing if like all of them had that sort of weird, kind of cutesy, like strange anime kind of whatever right, to them. Right. But she she they don't. And so when she look kind of twiddles her whiskers and it's like <laughs> you know, it's like, what are we supposed to be looking at here? Like you expect a kid to be like, I'll take that one <laughs> you know. Like, I have to imagine <laughs> that he must have just been trying to make her like look less ferocious than they do. Sure. You know, sure. I have to imagine yeah. that that's the intention behind it. But but boy, the effect is just like And to somehow ju- yeah, and to somehow generate some empathy that he's killing her. Yeah, yeah, I, I get it. It just doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. Like, the effect is a little sillier than I think maybe maybe was necessarily intended by by that moment. Um, they just scoot. They just scoot a little bowl of milk out in front of her. <laughs> it's like a kitty cat. Well, yeah, and the- <laughs> it, it turns into the the meowling. Oh my god! Like that? That's yeah. I mean. Th- I don't even know. I don't even know how to proceed from there because now I'm yeah, just I'm now I'm just. Stuck you got to cut some of these bad jokes. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I mean, like, but but one thing that I think that the film does have that is even still consistent. I I don't know why I'm surprised when I watch this, but I think I'm just not expecting films from the '80s to be that substantial for the most part. I'm thinking that films from the '80s. Even when I go back and revisit them, even when I'm thinking about them as possible episodes for this show, I'm thinking like, yeah, we'll probably have to stretch a little bit or we'll just use this as a launch pad for something. But this film is clearly very aware of kind of what we talked about a little bit last week with the Wolfman of this sort of dual nature conflict and the internal nature conflict. But one of the reasons specifically, if if you're fine diving right into themes. Yeah. One of the reasons specifically that I wanted to talk about this one versus American Werewolf in London is because in American Werewolf in London, everybody still kind of feels the same about being a werewolf. Like it's, it's, it's bad. It's horrific. You are haunted by it. You, you don't want it to be true. But with the howling, you have this whole colony of people that not only don't mind that they're werewolves, but they are actively embracing the fact that they're werewolves. They have completely, and that was the, by my understanding, I mean, other listener, uh, deeper horror fans may may correct me on this, but are there? Whoa, whoa, are there? Reed, I mean, deeper horror fans than me? Maybe not. Yeah, maybe not. I don't know. I mean, do we need a new? The, host? Gaunt- <laughs> the gauntlet to- has now been thrown. Um, but right by by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I, I think that that was the first time in werewolf cinema where the idea of them not really minding that they were werewolves was introduced. Um, I think this film sort of brought that up first. Werewolves had always been treated as this sort of haunted, horrific thing. Uh, but the fact that they really kind of like that they're werewolves is is a whole nother subject. It's a whole nother take on it. Because as we had a big, big lengthy conversation last week about this whole struggling with your inner nature and struggling with the things that you're impulsed and drawn towards doing and how you're more than those things... 
uh, they embrace it as if, no, this is the substance of who we are. Like, no, th- this is what we right, are. We are just right. animal and we are going to feed these these instincts as we see fit and indulge them as we see fit. And that's a that's a whole nother conversation that I'm sure we'll that I'm sure we'll get into. But not tonight. Well, you're I'm, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. You just set it up like maybe one maybe. day on another podcast about another wolf man. As, as I look off in the distance <laughs> and the music swells. <laughs> you're like, I hope Nathan takes the bait on this one and picks up the conversation. <laughs> so I'm gonna just hold up a tennis ball and lob it to you whenever it's your turn. Yes. So go ahead. Well, I, I have a I have a couple of themes um that are worth kind of considering that I don't know, just stuff that kind of jumped out, <laughs> jumped out at me. Um, one of them is just, I mean, I don't know if you feel this way, but I think this movie makes a strong case that the mustache should have just stayed in the <laughs> 1980s. Right? I mean, like there's just a really, there's a really compelling case to be made that that's where it needs. And in fact, one of the scares I wrote down, but I didn't say was, mustachioed fanged bill drooling during lovemaking oh, in the Lord. woods yeah that was disgusting yeah that makes which feels which, slimier which leads me to another theme and that's that lovemaking in the outdoors is always better in theory than in actuality <laughs> i think that's what this movie is trying to say that's what like, you got from that scene this, huh that's what you got right <laughs> Like, like, oh, it's all, this was this wasn't a, this wasn't as good of an idea as I thought it was. <laughs> like, I always thought this would be sexier, but no, it's not. It's not quite. No, it's just weird and creepy. And I love how it ends with the animated wolves mating. Like, oh, right, right, right. That like that? The, as the like, cameras panned up, suddenly they're real like life totally hand drawn little wolves <laughs> turn right, into hand right. drawings. <laughs> like the cartoon. Wolves. Oh my gosh. And then just the last thing would be just don't go to adult away camp, you know, like just don't do it. Yeah. It's not worth it. As I've learned evidently. Right. It's I didn't realize I'd gone, but, but and, you know. <laughs> it's only going to end in blood and tears, you know, it's yeah. Well, it's um, funny. Go ahead. Yeah. No, no. I want you to, I, I feel like my themes, my rich themes have stirred something <laughs> inside of you and I want you to, I want you to run with it. No, the, like, like what's interesting about that, the, this whole idea of a, of a commune. They call it the colony, but this whole idea of a group of people that have gathered together. I mean, that's an interesting notion to me in and of itself. I mean, I've never really been one who was terribly attracted to the idea of like, Hey, we're just a group of people sort of separating ourselves out and, you know, living, living in our own little bubble, like doing our own little thing. I mean, obviously. So you, you have not, you would have not been an elder in the village. No, I, I probably would not have been an elder in the village. No, but that, that, that's something that like, just that idea has always been sort of foreign to me. I don't know. I don't know if it's that I'm always that, I, that I, that I like sort of engaging with, with broader things or the, or, or like with the world around me. And I say this having, you know, never traveled out of the United States, but but I don't know the idea of just like secluding yourself off in this in these in this group of people that you're that you're with just doesn't I don't know it doesn't sound appealing to me it always sort of reeks of there's a cultish thing happening which in this case right yes in spades but well and this is why it's annoying to me that you saw this movie when you were nine other than just the inappropriate nature of it but um, also also just I knew nothing about the movie I didn't watch a trailer I did not know anything about the story or the plot or what I was going to see. So 
to you, it might be silly that I would not think naturally this is going to end with a colony. That they're all werewolves. I just, but I didn't. I didn't. You oh, know, when you're first yeah. meeting all these people, clearly they're odd. Right. But I was like, okay, this is kind of weird. I don't really know what's happening. Somehow, at some point, lycanthropy is going to be a part of the story. I know that much. Right. But I, like, I didn't know how it was going to go. Right. And so, well, and there's a part where I thought, okay, is just the 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 nymphomaniac werewolf. Oh, chick yeah. Is like she the werewolf? You right, know what I mean? Like right, right, I, right. I, I didn't. So it's kind of it was. I think that's what I mean by it was kind of fun watching the movie. I just didn't know where it was going to go. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. Definitely, definitely didn't know it was going to end in pyrotechnics. <laughs> it actually, it actually reminded me a lot of. Have you seen the X Files episode Bad Blood? You know what I'm talking about at all? Uh, um, it's with Luke, Luke Wilson. Oh, uh, guest wow. stars in it before he was a name. Yeah, but in this case they're vampires. But it's it's almost the exact same concept. Really. Just like a, a comedic take on it. It's this colony of vampires who live in a trailer park. Oh my gosh. And Scully, Scully and Mulder stumble upon them. And it's a whole episode. You gotta watch it. It's really I fun. need to, here's the thing is I need to watch a lot more X-Files because I need to have these cultural reference points with you. I know X-Files was a very big deal to you, but yeah, I've only seen probably. I can make you a list. I don't have many lists in life that I can pass along to you. I might do this. You're going to make you. me a list of like, these are, these are your X-Files essentials. Yeah. Oh, that's great. You yeah. Should, you should do I that. I mean, I can even just, you know, I'll make 20 and then just whittle it down to like a dozen. Okay. Like I'll even be that cutthroat with it just so that I'm not saddling you with gobs and gobs of television right. to consume. Right. Here's, and did you, here's a 20, but here are the 12 to watch. Oh, see, so yeah. And then, then I'll report back to you. I'll, I'll, I'll let you know. Yeah. How that I sounds good. We'll do that next week. Next podcast. <laughs> I'm going to have a lot of TV to watch now. Um, we are so far away from, from the howling. howling. No, it's not even funny. Um, Bring us back, so, so, yeah, I mean, let's let's talk back to this idea of uh, colonies and communes are really sort of based around this shared idea. Um, and usually the sure. shared idea is the world at large is getting it wrong in some area. We have a deeper understanding of life and how it should be lived. So we're going to separate ourselves out and we're going to, um, and we're going to do this other thing. And in, th- in, and what's interesting about that is that in theory, I don't necessarily disagree with that ideal. It, it, it's appealing to say, Hey, we're going to be free from the trappings and the complications of the larger world. That's appealing. But at the same time, you're kind of building a, a centralized, location where you will never grow and change your perspective at all. Your perspective will never be challenged. Like you'll never, you'll never be incited to, to be any different. You'll never be able to think about things in an alternative way. Uh, like you, you'll never, you're just surrounding yourself. Well, well, but, but don't you think, or, or do you think that depends on the starting point? Right. I mean, that sort of depends on the launch pad for the, why the the commune or whatever it is exists and and i I bring this up to a podcast you you that i recommended that you listen to the shane claiborne oh i was just i was just having a conversation with my wife who was listening to some of his stuff or no she was reading some of his stuff she's in grad school so she was reading some of his material shane claiborne and if you know anything about shane claiborne he did make a very intentional sort of withdraw from kind of not modern culture, like he, he, I think he's into it and aware of it and all that sort of stuff. He's not Amish in mm-hmm. that way, but has made a very active 
choice in how he lives his life in terms of money and finances uh. and material goods. Um, and it's interesting. She was telling me about how convicting some of the reading she was doing was of his because he talks about the, the church at large. And, and he was real critical saying, we talk a big game about the church doing good in the world. And in fact, the phrase he uses is we're just big distribution centers. Mm. It's where everybody, all the, all the, all the middle and upper class white people bring their extra stuff out of their house and it gets disseminated back into the culture and basic, and then sort of says like, do you know any poor people? Can you name them? I mean, it was just very like, anyway, I, I say that it makes it sound like I'm being super critical of the church. I know sometimes we can do that. That's not the point I'm trying to make other than simply to say your, um, assessment of, I don't, I don't think writ large, um, that, that withdrawing yourself with a group of people from a specific larger body with intentionality is always an inherently a bad thing or is, hmm. or is indicative of stunted or arrested sort of intellectual or spiritual development. I think it can be, have very good motive. I'm with you that often it's not right. right. <laughs> you know, um, more often than not, you hear about David Koresh mm, and crazy right, people right. and actual cults. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think there's a way that that level of intentionality can bear good fruit. That's a, that's a good counterpoint. And I think, I think you've convinced me to sort of dig a little deeper into my assessment of it and explore exactly why I feel the way I do about it. Because yeah, I would, I would freely admit that I think Shane, Cl- Shane Claiborne, while he's living, another person that I think of is like, uh, Rich Mullins. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah, somebody yeah, who, yeah. and, and I think I'm not opposed to the idea of just like living apart from the world. Certainly not, not opposed to that idea. Um, because I think you would certainly say this about Claiborne and I would certainly say it about Mullins that they're engaged with the world beyond them. Right. They just don't call it necessarily home. They just, they just have a sure. different sort of idea or sensibility of home. But the reason I bring that up specifically related to this, to this colony is sort of bleeding back to the idea that they, want to be werewolves that's that's what they the the film opens with dr wagner who we then know who we later find out kind of built this colony and populated it with a bunch of werewolves he is talking about the problem of repression he's talking about the evils of repression and repressing your desires and saying like no when you inhibit what you want and when you inhibit what you desire then that leads to all of these external problems and conflicts and and so that that's what the film opens with that's what the film is about right it's one of the reasons why even though you know like we've talked at length about hey there's certain moments in certain scenes in particular films that we don't necessarily defend but one of the reasons i i kind of understand or at least i think i do why this film's opening sequence uh leads to a to a, a sort of a smut shop you know a porn shop is again talking about this idea of of you know the repression of desires and the the things that people would be hiding away and sneaking away and being very secretive to engage with and Dr. Wagner in the in the in the opening sequence of the film is talking about how that's a bad thing but then the film takes you to a place to where all of the people who are giving themselves over to these very animalistic desires? They're, I mean, they're literal monsters. They, they are, right. they are uh, the 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 creatures, the villains of this particular story. And I think that the, I, I definitely don't think 
if the film were taking a particular posture, I definitely don't think the film is saying that repressing your desires is a, is necessarily a bad thing. I think it's taking a posture of like, hey, maybe sometimes we need to rein in our instincts. Maybe we need to rein in our desires. Maybe we need to rein in what you talked about last week about taking thoughts captive. Like maybe we do need some measure of boundary to where those things are going. I think the film, at least what I glean from it, is that it's saying that some of those, sometimes those boundaries are for our good and that they are, like I think about her, this will be my last statement before I bounce it back to you, that like when she, in the end, before she transforms into Hello Kitty, you know, she... <laughs> Sanrio, surprise! <laughs> that when when she's talking, she's giving a speech and she's talking about uh, how... It's kind of the right of man to have that struggle that we struggle with, with our more animalistic sure. nature and we struggle with, uh, the, the things that, that we would really wish would be gone. Like I want to read, I want to read a couple of quotes. I just, I just pulled this up and then I'll welcome some thoughts from you. So this is Dr. Wagner's speech. He says, repression is the father of neurosis, of self hatred. Stress results when we fight against our impulses. We've we've all heard people talk about animal magnetism, the natural man, the noble savage, as if we'd lost something valuable in our long evolution into civilized human beings. So I, I find that interesting. He's talking about like the fact of like uh, the civilization of ourselves is is a bad thing. And I know I keep saying I'm going to bounce it back to you, but then I just get these flurry of thoughts. And and yet I'm just standing here with. <laughs> thoughts that i'm ready but then they're moot and irrelevant by the time i get okay so what okay so I, i'm actually going to take a pause because i'm what i'm about to say <laughs> what i'm about to say might lead us in another direction so so i'm actually going to bounce it to you do you have any responses to the things i've been saying well i'm about to blow your mind uh -oh. um so this is happening in real time so you know it, it may be invalid but i think it's got some merit to it so you're trying to make the case of, you know, the movie is saying, Hey, look at this cultish colony. And, and, you know, this is where inhibitions go to die. Basically, right, you know, right. become very uninhibited. But I, I feel like you walked right past uh, what could be a valuable theme or at least a possible theme. And that's think about. Gosh, what is her character's name? Uh, the main girl? E.T.'s mom. Oh. I mean, not E.T.'s mom, Elliot's right. mom. Right. <laughs> E.T.'s mom. <laughs> That's a totally different um, movie. <laughs> she is Karen. Okay. So the movie, the movie's main action happens at the, at Camp Werewolf, you know, Camp Lupine. <laughs> and, and culminates in this sort of, yeah, what you're saying, this sort of like, there is no repression. Everything is animal and everything is, you know, on fire, like, like this is where you go to fully express those savage tendencies. It's removed. It's secluded. It's out in the woods. You know, it's isolated. But Karen is walking through, I'll be at 1981 New York City. And what is everywhere? Mm. Yep. Yep. Peep show. Um, like you talk about her ending at the smut shop. I'm saying every step she's taking. Yeah. There is that stuff in front of her. Right. And so it's almost like the movie is trying to say, hey, don't be fooled. You know, this stuff may be happening out in the woods, but oh, wow. it's very much present all around yeah. you. You know, yeah. like, like just, just cause you're not an actual hairy beast doesn't, <laughs> I don't know. I wow. can't finish that sentence. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you see what I'm saying? Like, like, you know, it's propping up this very isolated scenario of animalistic urge, 
right. and expression while also trying to remind you, don't forget, you know, this is where these characters live. This is where you live. Yes. Like this yeah. is anyway, I don't know. I thought that's kind of an interesting paired, um, you know, dichotomy. Oh, it, no, it really is. And yeah. And I don't know how deep I want to go down this path and how far I want to go down this path, but I've had this thought a lot where I have this reaction when somebody says, Oh, a, a certain archaic idea of morality or right and wrong. Like, oh, well, that's just not natural. That's just not natural. Like when people say, oh, that's not natural. And they sort of begin to prop up nature as, as this thing which kind of needs to be abided by. Like, oh, well, you have the impulses. So why deny yourself? And I'm, I'm not making this big blanket statement that we should deny all of our impulses. I try to hear that I'm sort of exploring this this subject that i think we would all agree that some some impulses need to be controlled that some impulses need to be restrained and that you cannot make a blanket statement like saying like oh well this impulse is perfectly natural so why should i deny it you cannot simply make that that blanket of a statement without really considering like well sh- should you like is there something in you right. i get the impulse to you know, to walk through a, a gas station and, hey, I don't have any change on me. Why don't I just take a candy bar? That's a, that's a silly, smaller little thing than, than some of what I'm, you know, some of the echoes of what I might be scratching at. But I've got to resist that impulse. You know, like I've got, you know, it, it would be really easy to say like, hey, I, you know, I don't have any means to pay for this thing and I have the ability to obtain it. Why don't I just take it? And, right. and it bleeds into this sort of what it, what it can do. I'll say this. It is very easy for impulses unrestrained to become entitlements. It's very easy for you to say like, hey, because I desire this thing, I am therefore entitled to this thing. And I think that's a very tricky, I think that's a very tricky conclusion to land on to say that because you desire this thing, you are therefore entitled to it. Um, I think that would be tremendously problematic. If viewed beyond the realm of your own experience, uh, you know, applied to everybody, I think that would be intensely problematic to simply say like, hey, no, sure. you, you, yeah, you desire this thing, so you should have it. Um, that's, that's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> that is a problem. That's a very big problem. Well, it's funny, you know, your, your use of the word impulse. This is a very sad story, but it, it has some merit here. I, I remember this is about, gosh, eight years ago now, um, learning of, and, um, it was, it was a, actually a teacher, uh, in my hometown that I had really looked up to who a number of years after I got out, after, I think even after college, we got out of college, but this is high school level had had relations with a student, if not more, um, than one student. And, and I remember I was so torn between being like devastated and just not knowing what to feel. Mm. Um, but I remember this, <clears throat> like your word impulse. I just remember thinking about that a lot during that season. Like we are all, I, I don't want to prop up. I'm going to, I'm going to set up a construct, a sort of philosophical construct here, but not commit to it. And what I mean by that is at that season of time, I kept thinking like, man, are we all just one? one barriered impulse away from just screwing it all up. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, like 
are we just victim of our impulses? Right. You know, right. and, and, and it's, and it's only, and it's only, you know, the, the, the naive of us who make it to the finish line having resisted those mm. impulses. Um, now that was those thoughts of 10 years ago. I, I don't ascribe to the notion we are just a bundle of resisted impulses. Right. Right. I mean, I think there's a lot more at play and at work in our decision making, but I do think there is a way in which you just have vices or rather you have behaviors that can become vices. Yes. Or, or behaviors that can become habits, habits that can become vices, vices that lead to impulse. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Like, I, I told my wife the other day, I'm like, why am I eating this? Whatever it was, it was a snack or something. Like you'd see me. I'm not like, I'm a giant person or anything or over overly obese or anything like that. But there are moments where I'm like, why, why am I eating this? Right. And I have those moments. Like this was an impulse. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not hungry. Right. It's just, you know, like to your, you, you know, how real world is it that you might steal something or someone might steal something? No, I'm, I'm making this real. It was like, I just went and ate a bowl of cereal at 10 o'clock. Why did I do that? Like, right. I, you feel stupid after the fact, like it was pure, you're not even operating out of self, right? You right. know, it's just pure, right. like, this is impulse. Mm-hmm. And so what this movie is trying to say is like, you know, what happens when there is no barrier between impulse and action? And I think that's a very scary place. Yeah. You know, it really, yeah, it really is. It's, it's probably a good opportunity to, uh, to bring in the scripture that I was thinking about. Uh, but I did want to have one quote that, that, uh, character played by John Carradine, uh, his name's Earl. Uh, but he says at one point to uh, Dr. Wagner, he says, you can't tame what's meant to be wild, Doc. Um, and he even uses the words. He says it ain't natural. And one of the things that I that I think that I think we have said on this show, and I think this frequently, that it can be an illusion to feel like, oh, well, if I just act out of my own impulses and my own desires, that if I just act out of that then that's real freedom. And then that's really, that's really, that's the the best possible place that I could be, the best possible station I could be in. But in fact, and I'm I'm almost positive we've said this on the show before, that what you then become is a slave to your own desires. You then become a slave to something else. And I thought about in in relation to that, Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 16 for this film. It says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. And then how appropriate uh, is this for the howling? Verse 15, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Verse 16, so I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And Mm. it's interesting to me that it uses that language that that Galatians (laughs) uses that language of devouring each other in relation to, you know, thinking about this film. Maybe there was, hey, maybe there was a werewolf in the Church of Galatians. Good Lord, that's a, (laughs) Paul's really, Paul's really got his eye on this one guy that he's like, hey, this this guy's trouble. Um, But, (laughs) but like, sincerely, the, the, the idea that like, I think that happens when we just 
allow our desires and our impulses to dictate and determine how we walk through the world and how we engage with right. other people. Like if we let that be the determining factor for what we are going to do, then it becomes very consumptive very quickly. Like then, yeah. then yes, you will just, you know, the language is a little harsh there and a, a bit extreme of a turn. But if you bite and devour each other, watch out, you'll be destroyed by each other. Like that's, that's what will eventually happen in this particular colony. I mean, they have, they have to consume at some point. Uh, they desire right. to consume. And that's where you get these poor victims who come in and yeah, it thinking they're just at camp. <laughs> Thinking like, oh, this will be a lovely <laughs> retreat, but right, right. But um, I do think there is. I, I, I guess this is the sum of what I want to say about it: is that if you do not position yourself in a place where your desires can be checked, where they can be challenged, if you do not position yourself in in a place where even though you are you are free, I mean, the scriptures also says you were called to be free, but if you don't position yourself in a place where that freedom can have some accountability, then you will begin to use your freedom to indulge your own flesh. And when that happens, it's going to become consumptive. It's going to become bigger and broader than you. And pretty soon you are just right. going to be nothing but appetite. Um, you know, there's all this talk, you know, we, we've mentioned how the, the porn industry is, is called out to in the early stages of the film. Some of the science, I'm not even talking about the religious implications. Some of the science sure. behind what has yeah. happened to people yeah. who are addicted to pornography is terrifying. It is, it is yeah. absolutely terrifying about how they see the world, about how they see human beings, about the, the pathways, the neural pathways that just erode to where there is almost right. no resistance whatsoever to engaging in, in behavior that then results in a kind of a self shaming. And, and, and again, I hope, I hope listeners, who may be struggling with something like that, don't hear any shaming on my part. There's none here. I, I feel the same way I do about any, any, as we've said last week, as we say to NFL, you are more than the worst thing that you've done. Like that, that's how I view sure. people. That's how I view the world. But attacking the stigma itself and attacking the industry itself, it is, it is pure appetite. And, sure. and, and, yep. and when left to just, grow and become more and more satiated it will never be satisfied it's a, it's a black hole right. of of never reaching a place where it's going to be enough nothing will ever be enough and i think that's the real horror of giving ourselves over to what we would consider and and just becoming becoming and and advocating that our desires are the god we serve that our desires sure. are what we bow down to and what we listen to uh in terms of how to navigate through our world so yeah that's that's not heavy at all <laughs> <laughs> on that note on that let's note talk about some silly guy in a pumpkin costume <laughs> <laughs> so uh you want to I've, I've led the charge explaining this to our listeners the last couple times you want to you want to tell them what what we do at this part of our show every week uh sure i mean if you're new to the uh fear god bandwagon one Welcome. We're glad to have you. Sign your name in the book at the end of the pew. Um, be sure to give when the plate gets passed around. Hope you enjoyed this conversation. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. We hope you come back. Um, but no, we um, we rank every movie that we talk about or every uh, generally piece of content we talk about on a very specific metric, um, finding both beauty and horror and humor in the Tom Hanks 
creation, David S. Pumpkins, as featured on last fall's SNL Halloween episode, um, we rank the movies by three specific categories. That is style, scares, and substance by numbers of David S. Pumpkins, one through five, or zero through five, as you helped educate me on last Gave you the freedom. I don't think I'm good. Right, right. I, I may not... But freedom, you know, it is. It, it may lead to indulgence and it's true. impulse. It's true. Problems, but you know, it's interesting. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna backpedal just a hair here. The the idea of service and you know the the you'll love this. The Bob Dylan, you're, you you got to serve somebody. That's right. But, you know, you cannot serve God and, and man. Like there's this way in which I feel like objectors to Christianity or objectors to faith view it as, you know, sort of weak or naive or, or, you know, something like that. Whereas I think the the reverse is true that you, you are going to become enslaved to something. Yes. Yes, you will. You know, like it may be something super self-destructive like pornography or drugs or, you know, sexual addiction. These, these things that have very, real, visible, destructive problems to your life, or it may be things like your own intellect or your mm. own pursuits. Right. Like you, you are going to serve something. You're going to become, you know, a slave sounds like a strong word, but you know, there's a way in which that's going to be the case. And so it's almost like the language of serving God in scripture is almost simply to save us. You know right. what I mean? Like it's right. not... It's not a, you're so terrible, you better come to me, as opposed to, it's simply like, based on how we are wired, mm-hmm. we are going to end up casting our lot in a certain direction, right? whether we want to or not, and hey, here is where, you know, the living water flows, here is where, right. you know, the bread will multiply, like, you, you will never go hungry again, like, this is where you can cast your lot. Anyway, I know that's a random aside, yeah. but I just kept thinking about that with, um, this this conversation of indulgence and impulse. So yes, David S. Pumpkins. So with Joe Dante's The Howling uh, on the David S. Pumpkins scale, read what do you give style? That's what I'm looking <laughs> for. See, there are all these stupid S words. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So um, I love S words. Uh, <laughs> I would give it for style. I think I'm going to give it a four for style because there's. Yeah. I think there's. I think it's really solid. There's a couple of things, even uh, though I didn't really cite anything in dislikes. There's a couple of moments that that I'm just kind of like, uh, really. Um, so, so. But see, you make it sound like a four is a tempered like. Oh, that's funny. To me, yeah. four is a pretty. Four is like pretty high. That's strong. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's. A good I mean, point. considering we do halvesies. Yeah, that's true. You're at like a nine. You're at a nine out of ten. Yeah, that's like, a good point. To... That's a good point. No, yeah. All right. Well, then no apologies. Right. I give it a four. Yeah. I mean, you give it a four. Um, I think having no idea what to expect, not having watched this, you know, licentious lycanthropy at nine years old, like you did, <laughs> um, I will give, I, I, I think I'd give it uh, a 3.5 All right, on old The Howling. That's all right. All right. What would you give it for scares? I think probably 3.5. 3.5? Like, like, I, I think, I think. I think the visual effects and the makeup effects are impressive. Yeah, right. And I think they are creepy. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it's like, I didn't go to bed 
worried about nightmares. So, oh, yeah, you true, know, I'm, I'm going to stick in the kind of like three, 3.5, but yeah. I'll go with 3.5. For kind of the same reasons, but, but leaning a little higher, I think I'm going to give it a four as well for, for, with, with making almost, the exact same statements where I'm just like, you know, I didn't go to bed having nightmares, but I think every, I think everything that they do for scares is really effective. Although the, like I said, the barn and the scene in the doctor's office just creeped the crap out of me. Always do. Yeah. They're really, they're really scary there. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I think, I think, uh, there'd be some openness to bumping that by a half point just because of Eddie's transformation, but I'm going to keep it at a 3.5. At 3.5. And then, yeah. So, so substance, what would you rank? What would you rank the howling for substance? Um, I'm, I'm going to go, I honestly struggled. Our conversation yielded more than I would have thought based on my viewing of the movie. Not that I thought it was vapid, but um, I'm, I'm going to go three. All right. On substance. I'm going to go three. And I think I'm going to, I'm just going to go four across the board. I think this is, this is one of those, you know, solid sort of four level films in, in my estimation of it, where it's like, yeah, does it hit the upper heights of the kind of things that I get super excited about? Not quite, but I think it's really good. It's really solid. And I really enjoy revisiting every time I get the chance to. So that having been said, we officially here at the fear of God, uh, give the howling probably our favorite rating that we give anything. And that is seven out of 10. David S. Pumpkins. Pumpkins. Any questions? we we got a tweet to Tom Hanks and just let him know <laughs> we're talking about him every week, um, and hopefully he'll invite us on SNL right, next year. Right? Yeah. This year. Exactly. <laughs> just or, we can be his little dancers. We'll be his dancers in the sketch. <laughs> oh my gosh! You just you just want Tom Hanks to smack my bottom. Yeah, smack yeah, my bottom. Sure. Why not? <laughs> but yeah, so we give it seven out of ten. David S. Pumpkins, and uh, yeah, I think the Howling every bit deserves that easily. Uh, I think if you've never seen it um, and you listen to this to, to decide if you should. As we've alluded to, there's some adult content, particularly in the beginning and and a couple of points in the middle, but. But it's 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 a really strong film, and I think that it is definitely worth your time, and it's definitely worth uh, worth a revisiting. As we say on every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but it is not the end of the conversation. And we would love to hear you continue the conversation with us. Uh, you can do so in a variety of ways. You can reach out to us on Twitter. Nathan, what is our Twitter handle? At the fear of God. You can also like us on Facebook. You can post to us there or comment on one of our posts. You can also uh, follow me on Twitter at Reed Lackey. And Nathan, where can they find you on Twitter besides the fear of God? At the Nathan Ralph. You can also go to morethanonelesson.com, leave a comment on one of the official posts there. Um, or you can email us fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word, fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. And, uh, yeah, we would love for you to, uh, to pop over to iTunes if you listen to us that way and leave us a review there. Uh, we would greatly appreciate that. And uh, otherwise, we would just love to hear from you. I know that the, the werewolf subject in general is a very broad, big subject. I'm, I'm positive that it's going to be one that we're going to revisit again. Uh, in the near future. But yeah, I mean, just as a sort of a starting point or a primer, uh, the Wolfman from 41 and the Howling from 81 uh, really, are, I think, as we've illustrated, provide some good food for conversation and some good food for thought. So, Nathan, thank you so much, as always, for for in, you know, indulging me, indulging my impulses <laughs> yeah. and watching these movies with me uh, and having this conversation. Yes. With me. Um, yes, I am happy to. 
<laughs> indulge. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> All right. Check out social media to see what we're going to be talking about next. We have, if things go according to plan, a couple of very big icons that we're covering in the next couple of weeks. So stay tuned to social media to find out what those are going to be. And uh, as always, uh, we'll, we'll catch you next week. See you next time, guys. Thanks for listening.